So let's start this morning with the Monty Hall test. The Monty Hall test. And let me set this up for you. So Monty Hall, by the way, used to be the, the host of a, a game show, Let's Make a Deal. I think they've rebooted it now with Wayne Brady. But the classic test is called the Monty Hall test, okay? So you've got, uh, Monty Hall shows you three doors. You're a contestant, shows you three doors. Behind one of the doors is a, a brand new convertible car. And behind the other two doors are, is a goat. There's a goat behind each of the other two doors. So you get to pick. So you pick door number one. Door number one, that's your pick. Monty, Monty says, okay, you pick door number one. I'm going to show you what's behind door number two. So he opens door number two. There's a goat. There's a goat. So you know the car now must either be behind door number one or door number three, the only two doors left. And Monty says to you, okay, I'm going to give you an opportunity. Do you want to stay with your original pick, door number one, or do you want to switch to door number three? You want to switch your answer. All right, that's called the Monty Hall problem or the Monty Hall test. Now, I'm going to reveal the answer at the end of the sermon today. If you know the answer, do not shout it out loud, please. I don't want to have to excommunicate you. If you think you know the right answer, now, if you want bragging rights at the end of the service today, because you knew the right answer, you either got to write it down or whisper it to your seatmate. You can't claim you knew the answer at the end with no proof at all. But it's not a joke, and there is a right answer. Okay, so there you go. So I've set that up. We'll get to that. I'll come back to that at the end. Now, if you're new to us this morning, if you are a guest, or if you've been skipping church for the last three Sundays, we're in a sermon series entitled The Journey, and we are journeying with Jesus through the Gospel of Luke, through his life, from his birth to his resurrection. Right, most, most biographies are from birth to death, but for Jesus, it's from birth to resurrection, all the way to Easter Sunday in March. We're looking at different episodes from the Gospel of Luke, and we've noted so far this is a glorious journey, this is a tempting journey, this is a strong journey, but today it's a testy journey, testy, and I'm, I'm using that word testy unconventionally, and the idea that there are tests along the way. We're going to look at some of those tests today. Now, complete this Complete this phrase for me. The good, the bad, and the, the ugly. The good, the bad, and the ugly. Okay, now you know my three points. Those are the three points today of Steve's sermon. When you leave today, Steve, I remember all three points. They are the good, the bad, and the ugly. And they're all tests. So let's start with the good test. This is in Luke chapter 18. A rich man comes to Jesus. Good teacher, he says, what should I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus responded, why do you call me good? Only God is truly good. Now let's start off with just noting this is a good question. Speaking of the good test, this is the good part. This is the good point, the good test. This is a good question. What must I do to inherit eternal life? If there is an eternal life to inherit, we want to know how to get it. What do we do to inherit that eternal life? That's the question that everybody should ask. Even skeptics and agnostics and atheists should be thinking in their minds, is there an eternal life? Is there? And if there is, how do I get it? How do I achieve eternal life? So that's a good question. And the, the best thing that this rich person did was come to the right person of whom to ask that question. Jesus 
asks him a question back, apparently to clarify whether or not he knew what he was saying, who he was talking to. Is he using language precisely or just fuzzy? He says, why do you call me good? Because only God is good. So in other words, do you know who you're talking to? Do you know that I am the Son of God? Do you understand that? And he probably didn't. But Jesus was seeking to clarify that. And Jesus is the one to go to to answer these big questions of life. At one point when a lot of Jesus' disciples were turning away from him and leaving him because he was teaching hard things, he asked his disciples, are you going to leave also? And Peter said, where are we going to go? To whom will we go? Only you know the answers to the questions. Only you have the words of eternal life. Who else are we going to ask? We want to ask entertainers. A lot of people idolize entertainers in our culture today. Someone wants to ask Elvis Presley an important question, a big question. Here's how Elvis responded. He said, I just as soon keep my own personal views about that to myself because I'm just an entertainer. High five, Elvis. Way to go. That's the right answer for an entertainer. How about the actors? We idolize actors and they endorse a product. We run out and buy the product. How about actors? Somebody asked Tom Selleck. Blue Bloods. So Tom Selleck, a big important question. Tom Selleck answered as follows. I make faces in front of a camera. That doesn't make me Solomon. I'm an actor. Understand? An actor? That's what Tom Selleck said. Way to go, Tom Selleck. Ricky Gervais at the 2020 Golden Globes Awards Ceremony famously or infamously said this. All these actors are about to get some awards. And Ricky Gervais says, if you do win an award tonight, don't use it as a platform to make a political speech. You're in no position to lecture the public about anything. You know nothing about the real world. Most of you spent less time in school than Greta Thunberg. That was Ricky Gervais. Where are we going to go? Who are we going to ask? How about the science? Let's ask the science the question. All right, well, John Kerry is the climate czar. John Kerry said, scientists project that the Arctic will be ice-free four years from now due to global warming. That's what John Kerry said. No ice in the Arctic in four years. Of course, he said that in 2009. Do the math on the science. So where are we going to go? We go to Jesus. Now, what about Jesus? This, this, this rich man said, good teacher. For a lot of skeptics, a lot of non-Christians, you ask them, what do you believe about Jesus? Who is Jesus? That's going to be the answer. Oh, I think he was a good teacher. He was definitely a good teacher. Maybe a prophet. He was a good man, a good teacher but not the Son of God, not the Savior, not my Savior, not my Lord. Just a good teacher. Now, there's a problem with that. C.S. Lewis does a great job of pointing this out in his writings. The problem of pain, also in mere Christianity. He says this about Jesus. You really can't call Jesus just a good man because of the kind of things that he said and taught. He, Jesus was not just teaching rules for living. These are good rules for living a good life. Jesus wasn't just doing that. Jesus was teaching things about himself. He was making claims. He said, I am the Son of God. I am the Savior of the world. I am the exclusive way to salvation. And C.S. Lewis points out, anybody these days who claims to be the Son of God, we look at that person as crazy, on the same level as someone who says, I am a poached egg. 
So he says, when you're looking at Jesus and trying to decide who he is, he was either crazy or he was lying. He was lying or he was who he said he was. Or he was who he said he was, the Lord. And that's called the Lord, liar, lunatic argument. That's something we can remember. Lord, liar, lunatic. But this whole idea of just a good man, C.S. Lewis points out, that's not even an option because of what he taught. Well, maybe he didn't exist at all. Some people think, hey, there really was no Jesus. It's just a legend and things built up around these legends and people believe them and things snowballed from that. Really, a legend? Jesus was a legend? All of history is divided by the birth of Jesus, either B.C. before Christ or A.D., Addo Domini in the year of our Lord, basically after Jesus, before Jesus and after Jesus. Or for the atheists and skeptics out there who want to use B.C.E. before the common era and C.E. the common era, which is still divided by what? The birth of Christ. But this whole idea, maybe Jesus never even existed at all. Lawrence McTuck wrote an article, Did Jesus Exist? Searching the Evidence Beyond the Bible, Summarizing the Evidence for Jesus from Extra-Biblical Sources. This was in Biblical Archaeological Review. You know what an extra-biblical source is? That's a source that's not the Bible. Like the Roman historian Tacitus or the Jewish historian Josephus. And he summarizes these things. Number one, Jesus existed as a man. He was called Christ, Messiah. He had a brother named James. Jewish leaders opposed him. Pilate ordered his crucifixion. Pilate was 26 to 36 A.D. And his followers claimed that he had resurrected from the grave. Jesus is no myth. He existed. He has impacted all of history and society. And so everybody needs to ask this question. Who is Jesus? Do I understand who is Jesus? Let us not be cotton-headed ninny-muggins in our thinking about Jesus, but be clear. All right, number two. So he said, you're going to remember the points today, the good, the bad, and the ugly. So that was the good. That's the good test. Now let's look at the bad test. Jesus continues, but to answer your question, you know the commandment. You must not commit adultery. You must not murder. You must not steal. You must not testify falsely. Honor your father and mother. So what do we call this, these commandments? We call them the Ten Commandments. He's referring to the Ten Commandments. That's right. The man replied, I've obeyed all these commandments since I was young. Wrong answer. <laughs> I've obeyed all these commandments since I was young? That is absolutely the wrong answer, but a revealing answer. It's revealing about the pride in this man's heart. Someone has said, Jesus takes the pride to the law, and he takes the humble to the gospel. I call this the bad test because the purpose of the Ten Commandments is to reveal to us how bad we are. I'm bad, I'm bad, you know it. Ooh! No, I'm right about that. The, this rich man should have said, I, I know the commandments you're talking about, Jesus, and I have disobeyed them ever since I was young. I've disobeyed. I have not kept these commandments. I have not kept them. I have not kept them in a boat. I've not kept them with a goat. I've not kept them in the rain. I've not kept them on a train. 
I've not kept them with a box, and I've not kept them with a fox. I've not kept them in the house. I've not kept them with a mouse. I've not kept them here. I've not kept them there. I've not kept them anywhere. I find that I am in a jam. I have disobeyed the great I am. I've worked very hard on that. Thank you. The Apostle Paul writes in Galatians 2.18, When I tried to keep the law, it condemned me. Again, this should have been Richie Rich's answer. Oh yes, Jesus, I know the commandments to which you refer. When I tried to keep them, they condemned me. That's why I'm looking for another way to inherit eternal life. Again, in Galatians 3.19, The law was given to show people their sins. This is the bad test. We look at the law to see how bad and sinful we are. Let me show you a, a clip from a movie where Jim Carrey's character, Lloyd Christmas, is trying to figure out if, if he can become the boyfriend of the pretty girl. And Charles, bump the volume up a little bit. It sounded a little low to me in the, uh, in the early service. All right, let's roll that clip. What do you think the chances are of a guy like you and a girl like me ending up together? Well, Lloyd, that's difficult to say. And we really don't hit me with it. Just give it to me straight. I came a long way just to see you, Mary. Just least you can do is level with me. What are my chances? Not good. You mean not good like one out of a hundred? I'd say more like one out of a million. So you're telling me there's a chance. Yeah, we can't be clueless about this. We can't be clueless. When we look at the law, there is no chance. There's not a one in a million chance. Nobody's going to make it that way, and that is the point. Now, the, the standard seems to have become, for a lot of people, especially people outside the church, is pretty good. You know, I'm, I'm basically, I'm not a Christian. I don't follow Jesus, but I live a pretty good life. I'm talking about in, inheriting eternal life or going to heaven. I live a pretty good life. I try to live by the Ten Commandments, so I'm, I'm pretty good. I mean, I know, I know a lot of people that go to church. I know there's a bunch of hypocrites there in the church. So if any of them are going, I'm going. Because I'm as good as they are, and I'm better than some of them. So this whole standard of pretty good. And one thing that the Bible hammers to us, pretty good is not good enough. In James 2.10, James writes, The person who keeps all the laws except one is as guilty as a person who has broken all of God's laws. Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote, the cross is God's truth about us. Now, reflect on that statement just a minute. The cross is God's truth about us. When we look at the cross and we picture Jesus on the cross, why is he there? He is on the cross because of our total failure to obey God to keep the commandments because we've broken the commandments and have sinned. That's why Jesus is on the cross and that cross is God's truth about us, our sinfulness and our need for Jesus in salvation. The rich man missed this. He totally missed this. He's thinking, well, I'm keeping the law. I'm crushing the law. I'm doing a great job on the law. So what that means is this guy needs a, a spiritual whack upside the head. 
He needs a come to Jesus moment. And so Jesus is about to get that spiritual two by four and smack him upside the head. So watch out because here it comes. Duck, be careful because here comes the spiritual two by four. The good, the bad, and the what? Okay, so here we go with the ugly test. Verse 23, when Jesus heard his answer, he must have been thinking, that's what you're going with? That you kept the Ten Commandments? Okay. When Jesus heard his answer, he said, there is still one thing you haven't done. Sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. But when the man heard this, he became very sad, for he was very rich. Now, I I suggest this is one of the only places in the history of literature where that last phrase right there is juxtaposed anywhere. He was very sad because he was very rich. That's pretty unexpected. He was sad because he was rich. Normally, we're going to say he was very glad because he was very rich. We're all waiting to strike it rich so we can be very glad. But he was very sad, sad, because he was rich. Because this is the spiritual two-by-four. This question or this challenge back to this man revealed something ugly about himself. That's what the ugly truth about himself was that he had an idol. He had an idol. He worshipped money. And he couldn't give it up. That was the ugly truth, ugly truth. I mean, talk about, I've kept all the commandments since I was young. He's breaking the very first one. I am the Lord your God. You shall have no other gods before me. And he did, money. And that was his idol. And that's what Jesus is trying to get him to understand. You know, we need to make sure we're not prejudiced in our church. And we're not discriminating. We're not discriminating against people like rich people. We can't, we should not discriminate against rich people. And sometimes we think, you know, if I go to someone who's down and out, uh, I've got some good news to share with them. I can give them a a helping hand up, and and we're a little bit more evangelistic. But we head on over there to John's Island, and there's the three-story mansion right there on the ocean, and we're walking up the driveway, and we can see through the open window. There's the man, his lazy boy, and he's watching his big screen team, the the football TV, he's watching the football game here, he's sip, sipping a cocktail, he's got the beautiful spouse and the kids, they're all educated, everything's going great. We might wonder, what good news do I have for this person? Do I have for this person? But Jesus did not discriminate. He hung out with those who were down and out, no question, but also with those who were up and out, up and out. Jesus has something to offer For every person, every social and economic class, there are three things that Jesus offers that can only come from Jesus. For every person, number one, the forgiveness of sins. Number two, the confident hope and expectation of eternal life. And number three, a reason for living, a purpose for living. Everyone needs that, rich and poor. Everyone needs that, and only Jesus offers it. Jim Carrey, we just saw a clip of one of his movies, lamented. I found I couldn't shove enough drugs, women, cars, stereos, houses, stardom in there to make me feel good. I guess that's why a lot of people overdose. They get to the point where the hole is so big that they die. What hole is he talking about? I don't know for sure, but maybe, maybe it's the whole Blaise Pascal referred to when he said every person has a God-shaped hole in their heart 
that only God can fill. Last week after the Baltimore Ravens playoff victory, head coach John Harbaugh opened the press conference reciting a scripture, 1 Chronicles 29, 11. Let's roll that. Here, I just want to start off with this. Um, this is something that was sent to me before the game. It just is meaningful to me, so I'm going to share it with you uh, because I think it's uh, uh, the right thing to do. And it's a, it's a verse. Um, Greatness, power, glory, victory, and honor belong to you because everything in heaven and on earth belongs to you. The kingdom belongs to you, Lord. You are the head and the ruler over everything. So there's an amazing spirit on this team. And I uh, just want to kind of give honor and glory where it's due. I like it when a rich, famous person does that. Because it helps to remind us, and, and all people, that everybody needs the Lord. Rich, famous, down, out, up, out. Everybody needs the Lord. So, Monty Hall problem. So you got the three doors. You pick door number one. There's a car back there and a goat. He, he showed you door number two. There's the goat. And then he asks you the question, all right, do you want to stay with your original pick, door number one, or do you choose to switch over here to door number three? That's the choice. That's the test. Okay. How many people think, you know, now you can raise your hand here, how many people think that you stay with your original pick, door number one? Okay, good. How many people think that you should switch to door number three? Okay. How many think it doesn't make any difference whether you door number one or okay? Okay, so the answer is that you switch. You switch your answer from door number one to door number three. It's a statistical problem. And in statistics, the odds, the averages of you picking the car, getting the right answer, go from one in three to two in three when you switch your answer and you choose door number three. You say, how in the world does that work? I can see the doubt in some of your eyes right now. You're doubting Steve. But so Google it after church today. Google it. Look at the stats. Look at the charts. And perhaps you will be convinced. But that is the answer. Now, in John chapter 10, Jesus said, I am the door. I am the door. Anyone who enters in through me inherits eternal life. And my point is that if we have not chosen Jesus. If we have an idol, and I, that this guy's idol was money. That may or may not be our idol. But if we have an idol, we've chosen a different door, switch from that to Jesus. He's the right door. And if we've already chosen Jesus, then we don't move off of him for anything. Jesus is the door.